Hello everyone and we just want to um, welcome each one of you again as you join with Kate and myself and we trust that you will be encouraged as you meet around God's word and you hear God's word. We just want to let you know that we do thank the Lord for each one of you that come on with us each week and we thank the Lord for our family, our friends, for all our children and grandchildren and for those who are serving the Lord throughout this world. We just appreciate one, each one and we pray that each week that you will be encouraged and that you'll grow a little bit more um, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Nice to be with you again. I trust you've had a, a good week and uh, that you've known the, the pleasure of knowing Jesus and walking with him, following him, even in the midst of um, COVID challenges that are all around us. We're thinking this week about um, <clears throat> the cross, the crucifixion, and more about even our following of the Lord Jesus Christ ongoing from that. So, so let's launch right in there. Um, it's a well-known fact that the, the, the cross on which Jesus was uh, persecuted and died um, obviously was a, a brutal form of um, punishment for people. Cicero actually uh, suggested this about it. He called it the most cruel and horrifying form of death. And it's believed that even although the Romans crucified tens of thousands of people, they always um, held crucifixion and contempt themselves. In fact, it was against the law to crucify a Roman citizen. And they, there was great great attempts and efforts made to, to keep crucifixion out of Italy itself. It was for people believed to be in the provinces, <clears throat> for, the, for the slaves and for, for the worst of non-Roman criminals, all, all non-Roman in that sense. Let me read what this one author uh, suggests to us about um, the form of crucifixion. He writes, upon arrival at the place of execution, the soldiers would then tie or nail the victim to the cross. They held the body to the horizontal bar with one of them kneeling on an arm while another felt for the small soft spot at the base of the hand. Once the spot was found, a square spike was driven through without breaking bones or risking the body turning free once it was upright. The opposite wrist was similarly nailed, making sure that there was adequate bend in the elbow to allow for movement of the arms and body. Often a single spike was used to nail both feet to the vertical timber of the cross, again making sure that the knees were able to bend to allow for body movement and a slower form of death. <clears throat> Sometimes it's believed days passed before the, uh, the, the crucified person actually died. And during those many hours, the victim suffered from exposure to sun and heat during daylight and then cold during the night. Insects and birds were a constant source of irritation to the victim. Hunger and thirst compounded the ordeal. Blood loss that began with the flogging continued, the or continued on the cross. However, few, very few died from any of these aspects of the torture. Deaths generally came from heart failure or perhaps most commonly from asphyxiation. The victim's arms knotted with pain and strain as the body hung from his, uh, hung from his hands. The pectoral muscles of the chest were virtually paralyzed. He could inhale but could not exhale. Um, in a desperate attempt to breathe, he would instinctively and violently heave his body upward, pressing all it, pushing all his weight against the nails in his feet. When the pain from so much body weight on his feet became too unbearable, he, he would fall down again. Uh, the repeated thrusting up and down to breathe lasted throughout the crucifixion until he was too weak for another attempt, and then he died from lack of breath. <clears throat> when soldiers wanted to hasten to death, they swung a large board against the victim's legs. Broken legs made it impossible to straighten up and the victim 
quickly or more quickly suffocated. That, that's um, <clears throat> the, the basis, if you want, of what it means to, to die such a horrendous death. So we know the crucifixion, uh, the use of a cross was very common during those times, during which Jesus lived. So, so people then clearly understood what the cross or the crucifixion was was all about. They'd seen this, they understood it, it wasn't hidden from them in any form of society. They knew what a crucifixion was. So they had this idea and they had an understanding <clears throat> of um, the cost of following Jesus. If you're going to follow him and he's gone through that, then you can expect to be involved in something like that potentially. So when Jesus made some of these statements we're about to look at, people had a, a reasonably good understanding. Their, their hermeneutic you want was quite strong in their understanding of this. In Matthew 16, <clears throat> 24 to 25, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, says Jesus, will find it. Pretty direct. Then Mark 1.17, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He who follows me. And Matthew 8, 22, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Matthew 19, 21, and, and speaking to the wealthy young professional, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. So that's what he was pushing as being the sort of um, emphasis of following him. Now, after Jesus died on the cross, <clears throat> We know that he arose from the grave. Remember, he, he's God. That's who Jesus is. He's not, not just man, but he's God. And you cannot kill the almighty, almighty God. So in his resurrected form, Jesus then visits his disciple called Peter, uh, the brash old fisherman whom he's going to minister to. And at that meeting, Jesus tells Peter that Peter could expect to suffer in the future because, Peter, you're following Jesus. You're following me. You're following me. Even expect to suffer to the cost of your own life and martyrdom, Peter. <clears throat> Peter then asked, uh, well, what about these other disciples, Lord? Um, what about the disciple John? Would, would he suffer? To which Jesus answered in John 21, 22, if I will that he remain till I come, till, till I return if you want. What, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. This is personal. This is about you following me, Peter. So following Jesus wasn't just for those alive in uh, Palestine centuries ago, however. It's, it's very pertinent today. And uh, it's pertinent that we follow the risen Lord Jesus, just as Peter was exhorted to do in his day. <clears throat> We're going to look at um, several, several aspects of this today. I'm not going to spend lots of time on them. So this is just basically putting thoughts, encouragements, challenges into our minds by which we can work from there. So number one, how should we follow Jesus? I think we should do the do what Jesus came to earth to do. Uh, when he saw Peter and Andrew working with their, their fishing nets, he said to them in Mark 1.17, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So he, he sees them doing something and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. There's an automatic connection to them. Uh, the imagery of those words were pertinent pertinently relevant, not only to the two men in question, but also relevant to the region in which they lived and to the era in which they lived. And nonetheless, that statement by Jesus stands as essential to all who claim to be followers of him. But what exactly was Jesus calling his followers to? Or what's he calling us to today? Recognizing that we are to live 
like Jesus lived, and uh, then it becomes sort of um, obvious in some respects as to what we're to do. We're to live like him by living out his, his words, by living out what he was sent to do, but we do we do that today. We, we do what Jesus was sent to do in his day, but we do that today. Well, we know that Jesus Christ uh, came to the earth to gather to himself a people who would commit their lives to glorifying God. We, we, we call them the church, the believers, the way, the body of Christ. And because Jesus gave up everything to come to earth and then to die and to be crucified, he actually gives us his example as to how we should follow him. We read these uh, we, we read these two well-known verses in John 13, 34 to 35. A, a new commandment I give to you, that, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So we're called to declare discipleship to Jesus by showing the love of Jesus to everyone we meet, to showing the sort of love that Jesus would have for his creation, for the people in this world today, irrespective of the circumstances, we show this love. So I want you to see where we're loving Jesus as his disciple and showing his love to the world that he's called us to live in, where it might take you, where it might take me today. Remember how Jesus spoke to, to Peter about martyrdom? Uh, it was a preparatory warning that when, when you choose to follow Jesus, Peter, if you choose to follow me, you today watching this me, if we choose to follow Jesus, then there, there will be suffering. We, we can expect that. So let's look then at the, the suffering of our following Jesus. This isn't a, a popular teaching today, but then probably much of what is biblical isn't necessarily popular, even amongst believers today, even amongst those who profess to believe, it's not necessarily popular. We know that Jesus suffered, so it shouldn't be a shock to us as his followers that if we're truly following him, we very may well share in the suffering that, that he came to do. <clears throat> in calling us into this privileged position of following him, and that is a great privilege, Jesus knew that, that he was going to the cross, that that was his destiny. And we, I think, I think we can expect the same. He says, you're going to be like me. You're going to follow me. Hey, this is where I'm going to. So you're going to have to follow me. Now, according to Luke 9, 51, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. His going there was sovereignly planned by God the Father and was with the purpose of God being glorified through Christ's acceptable sacrifice for our sins. We read this in we read this in Mark 10, 33 to 34. Listen to the detail in here. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. So Jesus knew he was very aware. I'm going to have to physically suffer. He knew this prior to his calling his disciples. He's always known that from before the foundation of the world. He's known, I'm going to have to suffer for these people. So he knew this prior to his calling his disciples. And that being so then, his words in John 15, 20 take on incredibly important meaning. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you, speaking of the world. If this world has persecuted me, 
the one who came to redeem them, then you can expect them to persecute you. And the bottom line is this, you and I are called to follow Jesus in his suffering. Remember his words in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, that, that instrument of death, and, and follow me. <clears throat> so we can expect there's going to be suffering in all of this. Then let's suffer joyfully. Let's look at another point, suffering joyfully. Uh, to suffer is always uncomfortable. It's always frightening. And it's not a naturally accepted part of a, a modern Western culture. We don't wake up and say, good, another opportunity to suffer today. At least I don't think too many of us do. We need to appreciate that Jesus didn't actually die to give his followers an easy, comfortable, prosperous lifestyle. He didn't go to the cross so your life and my life's going to be free and easy and wonderful and perfect and proper in every way that we want. <clears throat> I like how, how John Piper explains Christ's death. He writes, he died to remove every obstacle to our everlasting joy in making much of him. Christ died so these obstacles would be removed so that you and I can actually make much of Jesus. That's really good. I like that. And Jesus calls us to follow him in this lifestyle of suffering, recognizing, recognizing that, that our joy, the joy of this life, even the joy of this suffering is actually going to be eternal. We read of Jesus saying in Matthew 5 verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. We think that, that that's okay. He continues, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he's telling us to rejoice. Our reward's going to be great in heaven because they persecuted these prophets before us and the inference is they'll do the same to you. Listen to Piper again. <clears throat> if, you if you follow Jesus only because he makes life easy now, it will look to the world as though you really love what they love and Jesus just happens to provide it for you. But if you suffer with Jesus in the pathway of love because he is your supreme treasure, then it will be apparent to the world that, that your heart is set on a different fortune than theirs. And this is why Jesus demands that we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. That's what we have to do. So let's um, suffer joyfully. Um, we should remember, next point, all of our suffering is, is temporary. Jesus never calls anyone to an eternity of suffering. Now, notice that I've said Jesus never calls anyone there. That's what he's redeemed us from. Notice his words in John 12, 25. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So we can often look at our suffering, even our supposed suffering, as as, as though it will, will never end. We might see it as a, a long black tunnel, but, but Jesus leads us into joy. He leads us into his joy. He tells us in Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you always through all of your horrendous suffering, if you want. I'm with you always to the end of the age when you will come into the presence of uh, my eternal joy is literally what Jesus is saying there. So for you and I to work joy into our suffering it's really difficult to contemplate or men mentally get our heads around something like that at best. It's downright alien to the majority of our thinking. We don't think that the suffering and joy somehow go to together. But, but let me read to you um, this account taken from the, uh, the book titled The Jesus Freaks. I think it's pretty incredible and pretty shocking. It's way back uh, based in the 1960s in mainland China. <clears throat> 
and uh, the, the man in question is Mitsong Mao. Abandon your faith, the communist police officer uh, shouted at Mitsong Mao. Uh, the, the officer's fist slammed down on the table. Mao replied quietly, Jesus is the savior of my life. I cannot obey your order. Catch this. Only seven weeks after his conversion from atheism, Mitsong Mao became a preacher of the gospel. This is a common occurrence in underground churches in China. Believers there don't wait for theological studies, but begin right away to tell about their experiences with Jesus. Mao had been arrested for spreading what the police called the poison of imperialism. They beat him and he prayed. While they beat him, a supernatural joy filled him. He felt the Holy Spirit surround him and, and nothing the communists did could make him deny Jesus. He was sentenced to five years, but was later given another 10 years for preaching, to the, for preaching in the slave labor camp. Mao's wife, abandoning all hope of ever seeing him again, divorced him. When he heard the news, he was incredibly sad. Then he remembered those words from Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. He composed a hymn and he, he sang that hymn in remembrance of that. Mao continued to preach to his fellow inmates. Then came a terrible winter with temperatures close to zero. An epidemic swept through the prison, and out of 1,300 prisoners, 1,050 died. Mao was pronounced dead and taken to the morgue, but, but his spirit was alive. In the morgue, surrounded by dead men, he prayed and saw an angel dressed in white, whose face shone with God's glory. The angel blew upon him, and immediately the sickness left him, and he felt better. He knelt and thanked God, and then left the morgue. The prison doctor saw him walking around and cried out in fear because he thought Mao was a ghost, just like the disciples did when the, the resurrected Jesus appeared to them. But Mao said, don't be afraid. I'm Mitsong Mao. God restored me to health. He sent me to show you the way to God. The doctor knelt and said, your God is a reality. After 15 years Mao was released from prison and continued to work secretly in the underground church for another 18 years. At his release, he told the authorities, suffering did not diminish my faith, but only intensified my relationship with Jesus. That's taking up your cross and following Christ. That's suffering with all joy for God's glory. That's incredible. That's different from the Western false gospel of live for Jesus. And Jesus is going to give you everything that you want. Things like houses and wealth and cars and future financial security and perfect health and everything that you can dream of that this society tells you you need. It's very different. So as we continue to follow Jesus... We need to understand that after our suffering in these incredible ways, relationships will often be damaged. As a pastor, I um, have often felt guilt for um, opposing people and bringing us a relationship to a, a cease, if you want. But as I follow Jesus, uh, there will be such a cost relationally. Remember his words in Matthew chapter 8, verse 22? Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let, let the, the unsaved, let the dead bury their dead. Let, let it go. Our following of Christ is, is so radical that it will be 
it will be detrimental to many relationships. Imagine a minister today who would refuse to bury an unsaved person, but instead told the family to either do it themselves or to get some, someone else who was uh, unsaved to officiate at that ceremony for them. But I cry. But our relationships can also be torn as, as we implement the words of Jesus in, in, in Luke 14, 26. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You know, um, <clears throat> missionaries often experience this truth. Uh, they take their children to dangerous and difficult locations for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of sharing this truth with other people who need to hear it. And they leave parents and family behind possibly to never see them again and in some cases not so much today but certainly in, in days gone by and sometimes they have to leave with a very damaged relationship because parents will say don't don't go you can go to war son but i don't want you to go to this dangerous location to serve jesus i don't want you taking my grandkids there's often things like this creep in so relationships close relationships can be damaged and um Obviously, the missionaries do this because of their love for Jesus and their love for his gospel and the nations of this world. So warning you that as you follow Jesus, relationships can and most likely will be damaged. <clears throat> if you've been following through the points, you'll realize we're at number six. Uh, following Jesus will transform how you look at your possessions. If you take a quick glance around your home or start to think, if you're in the office, start to think of the things that you own and possess. You see, we must get rid of whatever hinders us from following Jesus because we've got to take this so seriously. The wealthy young professional, he chose his possessions. He chose his career above following Jesus. So he would go to hell. That's what actually will happen eternally. That doesn't just apply to that young man in the Lord's time. The principle is applicable to everyone who claims to follow Jesus today. Now, notice his words in Luke 14, 33. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We've taught people, hey, just take Jesus and add him on to all this stuff that you have, and he'll give you even more. It's going to be wonderful. And this verse this whole teaching cuts across that and says that that's wrong. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Forsaking all or renouncing all, all that we have means that it becomes totally at the disposal of Jesus to use as he wants. So if he wants to use your second car and a smash, or he wants to use your second car for some other benefit, for a mission or whatever, you're okay with it. If he wants to take the house and burn it, you're okay with that because this is all at his disposal. And you're getting a message here. If he does all that stuff, he, he wants to use me in some other way. And so all of that is for the Father's great glory and supreme glory of sending Christ to this earth, uh, crucifying his Holy Son in place of us, giving us the word of God, giving us the spirit of God, giving us the gospel message to take to the ends of the earth. So we need to understand that our possessions must not get in the way. Instead, Jesus, our following Jesus, will transform how we look at these possessions. <clears throat> Number seven, following Jesus may very well lead to a career change. 
Um, people today change career um, much more than they used to. But the, the fishermen, the tax collectors, were, were, were busily working when Jesus called them to leave their careers and to follow him. We read Mark 2, 4, 4, verse 14. Only verse 13, just for context. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them, verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now, now visualize yourself. You've just shown up to work. And Jesus walks by and says, follow me. And you say, yeah, I'm doing that. So as far as we can tell, Levi just arose there and then to follow Christ. He left his career to follow Jesus. He said, I'm going to follow. Where was he taking you, Levi? I don't know. Um, what's he taking you into? I don't know. But I've got to follow him. Uh, this isn't the case for everyone, obviously. But if you do sense Jesus urging you to follow him or to change your career or to change your lifestyle, then you need to do that. In the economy of this life and the existence, uh, economy of this existence, it's incredibly risky to do that. But our goal <clears throat> is eternal. And our calling is always to follow him. We're not building up a kingdom for ourselves here around us. We're following him. We're listening. He's calling. We're moving. Final point, continuing that sort of theme, to follow Jesus will, will cost you. Not just necessarily in a career or relationships, but in other ways. Jesus doesn't paint a picture of ease or happiness or, or physical or monetary benefit. Um, it's oftentimes the church that does that in our supposed following of Jesus. But Jesus is completely upfront about the cost, what it means to follow him. He actually encourages you to be very aware of the cost <clears throat> and to count the cost of following him. Listen to his advice in, in Luke 14, verse 28, and then verse 31. Verse 28 reads like this, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. That makes perfect sense. It's easy. Now, verse 31, or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. You have to gauge these things and work through it. So we need to take time. You need to take time. I need to take time to, to count the cost, your cost of you following Jesus. Yes, Lord, I'm, I'm in this to follow you. I'm in this because I believe in you. I'm in this because you've got a, an incredible message of redemption for mankind. I'm in this because I want to bring glory to the Father. So the cost, whatever you put upon me in that cost, I'm going to go with. It's going to be okay. In John 16, 33, uh, Jesus reminds us, in, in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you're going to have these horrendously difficult times. So we can expect tribulation. We can expect suffering as we follow him. Following Jesus shouldn't be expected to be the good life here on earth. It will be tough, harsh, because we're in a battle. And in this battle, we could even lose our physical lives. But our verse, con our verse concludes, that is one, one for, for, sorry, John 16, 33, in the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I, says Jesus, have overcome the world. I've overcome this. So even in all that comes upon you, you can go and you can share and you can teach and you can live for me. You can follow me. So following Jesus will be costly. And I want to encourage the church, I want to encourage you to really step up and think, what is that cost to me? What's that cost 
to, to us as a, a people, as a church, as individuals, whatever. Following Jesus will be costly, but following Jesus will be incredibly worth it. So let me encourage you. Take up your cross and follow him. He's worth it. He alone is worth it. Let me pray for you as you step into this challenging arena of ministry and service for him in this incoming week. Lord Jesus, you have set an incredible example, um, not just in, in giving yourself for us. And Lord, we, we, we struggle to even express thanks and we, we struggle to understand that, to permit some of that to be a motive, motivator for us to live for you. But you've called us, Lord, in that you've called us to salvation. You've called us to follow you. And so, Lord, we, we want to follow you, but we have to take, take stock of the cost. Uh, the cost is high. Um, it, it could cost us a lot, but Lord, it costs you everything to redeem our souls. So we want to give you back this life, I owe. And so, Lord, I, I say, take this life, take the lives of these people that are watching, Lord, minister to them, minister through them, and use each of them to bring honor, to bring glory to your holy name. Lord, help each one of us to, to count the cost. And in the midst of that counting, Lord, help us not be fearful and frightened what we may lose, what may suffer, what suffering may, what we may endure, but rather let's take stock and let's take appreciation of what you will do through those who are truly redeemed by yourself, truly choose to follow you. So lead us, we pray, Lord, and help us be faithful, fervent followers of the risen Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. We want to follow you and walk with you. And we pray this in your holy name, and we ask it for your glory alone. Amen. Thanks again for giving us your time, your attention, and uh, we don't take it for granted. We really do appreciate it. So stay blessed and stay encouraged as you follow him.